Morning, everybody. Nice to see you this morning. Uh, let's start our service with prayer after we've sung our first hymn, which is from the Green Hymn Book, I Worship the Lord in the Beauty of Holiness. Dear Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that you shower down on us every day. We thank you for the fellowship that we share with you and the Lord Jesus Christ and with each other. Lord, we pray that as we come together now to offer you our praise and our worship, that all that we say and do will be acceptable to you this morning, that through our shared experience today, that we will be uplifted and empowered to do your will, to live like the Lord Jesus Christ lived and showed us, to love our neighbour, to bring light into a dark world. Thank you for all things, Lord. Amen. We pray for Mark and Elaine as their baby's due date approaches. I think it might be today, actually. Is that right? Anyway, it's very soon. Um, Andrew Campion uh, is recovering from knee surgery. It's great to see him here. Um, we hope and pray he'll be uh, fully mobile again soon. Um, Malcolm is to have an operation on his knee on Wednesday. Uh, he'd be very grateful if someone could, could give him a lift um, to and from Salford Royal Hospital on Wednesday. He needs to be there for 7.30am, um, but doesn't yet know when he'll be able to leave. Please, could you let Malcolm know if you're able to help uh, with that. Great to see Wendy here this morning. Um, if uh, you have any care news for next week, Joe is preparing care news again next week. We're going to uh, pray together now. Before we do, if anyone has anything that they'd like me to pray about, please let me know. Remain where you are. Let's approach our Father in prayer. Dear Father, you, you bless each of us in so many different ways. And we want to thank you for that now. We want to thank you for allowing us to be your light stand here in Old Trafford. And we pray for your rich blessing on all the work that we do in your name here in Old Trafford. We, we pray that uh, you will strengthen us and help us to, to tell people about you in all the different ways uh, in which we work together as your church. And we pray that those activities will bear fruit and uh, that people will come to know about your love as a result of them. Father, we want to bring before you um, our family here at Old Trafford, each and every one of them, uh, but in particular those uh, who, we've, who we've mentioned this morning. We want to bring before you Mark and Elaine. Um, we pray for your rich blessing and your, uh, your love on Mark and Elaine this week as, as Elaine um, prepares to give birth. Mainly in operation, we pray that you'll keep them uh, in your hands, keep them close to you, and help them to know your love um, through all the things that they might need to go through this week. We pray for swift recovery for uh, Andrew and for Perline, and we pray with Malcolm as he has his operation, and uh, give skill and uh, compassion to the people who will be looking after him. 
We pray for your wisdom and guidance um, as a church as we as we issue the uh, tender documents for the the building work. Give us wisdom to to choose wisely and to use the the money that uh, you've given us um, wisely as we as we make the uh, adjustments to the church here. And we pray that, uh, that that will help us to do your work here in Old Trafford as well. Father, there are many, many people who are um, struggling in lots of different ways that we have and haven't heard about this morning. And we pray that you'll be close to each and every one of us um, and strengthen us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just uh, stay seated, we'll sing, O Lord, hear our prayer. We will now take our our readings. We're going to have uh, uh, John chapter 9 and John chapter 10 read. Uh, Derek will lead John chapter 9 for us, and then Liz will lead John chapter 10. The Bible of here. The Gospel of John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man behind from, uh, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. <coughs> Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him, begging him, Begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some money and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. The Jews still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. 
But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for although the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was a Christ would um, be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned a man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this he replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture to us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Listen to him. But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his, as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do you not believe me unless I do what my father does? But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptising in the early days. He stayed, here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, 
Though John never performed the miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. It seems appropriate now to uh, sing our next, our next song. As we come together to remember the sacrifice that God and the Lord Jesus Christ made on our behalf, and fundamentally we are asked to respond to that demonstration of love. And so we sing, You are all I need, it's your face I seek, in the presence of your light we bow down and confess you are Lord in this place. So there were two golfers playing around a golf. And they get onto the 15th tee and it's a raised tee and from the tee they can see the road and on the road there's a funeral procession. And one of the golfers takes his cap off as the, and just stands there respectfully as the funeral procession passes. And they finish the round and the other guy's just saying, well, that was very respectful that you should stop and do that. And he said, well, she'd been a faithful wife for 37 years. I once heard somebody tell a story. They were preaching. They were talking about some, I don't know, if it was a particular disaster or a particular injustice. And he was explaining how thousands and thousands of people uh, were starving or they were dying of pestilence. I can't remember the exact details of the story. And then he proper swore. I mean proper swore from the platform. Do you know, as he was preaching. And people were indignant. People were indignant that he would swear. And he, and he pointed out, if, I don't know, the, the sort of, the contrast, he just told people, he just told people that people were physically dying and they'd sat there and they'd accepted it as though they'd just heard a football score. And then when he swore, all of a sudden they were indignant and he pointed out, what's the word, the, uh, yeah, irony, hypocrisy, do you know, he was preaching the gospel, a gospel about love. Oftentimes, we see things completely differently from how God sees things. And I think John chapter 9 is another one of those times where if we're not careful, then we're in danger of seeing things differently from how God sees things. We'll spend nearly all our time in John 9, so if you just want to... If you want to open your Bibles... And we, and we read in John 9 verse 1, as he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, who do you reckon it was? Who sinned that Emily should be born with food allergies? Emily? Or Lucy or myself? Who sinned that in the Ramsden household? You know, that's, that's what they thought. That some physical affliction was, was due to some sin committed either by the person or it was inherited because of a sin somewhere in their family line. 
I never said we'd go stay in John 9, so you stay in John 9, I'm going to Luke 13. But this is, because it, I just want to show that it's just, it, it happens. Luke 13, 1, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Their physical affliction was nothing to do with the fact that they'd done something wrong. Either they'd done something wrong or their parents. It was nonsense. And Jesus was fighting against that. And so the, the disciples asked, because it's something they're familiar with, and it was largely accepted. And all of a sudden the disciples, they've got somebody to ask who can sort of put them right. He says, there is no such connection. Back in John, John 9 verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That was a close one. And if it stopped there, that would be pretty good. But actually, if you look at what the rest of the verse goes on to say, we end up sort of closing one door on something a bit awkward and then opening another one. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The man was born blind and therefore suffered everything that that that's entailed with, uh, with a blind man in the day of the Lord Jesus, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Well, thank you very much. That's, that's, the, that's the sin thing dealt with, but what do we do with this? The man didn't know he was blind because it was part of God's purpose. His parents and family didn't know he was blind because it was part of God's purpose. The religious leaders of the day did not know he was blind because it was part of God's purpose. Constantly, it seems to me, we have this, uh, this dichotomy, this trade-off sometimes that we need to make between how we expect to be physically and how we expect to be spiritually and I think oftentimes Jesus challenges that and I think that's what's happening here and as we go through the chapter I'm hoping that will become clear God's view is different from our view and if we need to take any lesson at all that's the lesson we need to view our lives, our service, the world in which we live in, in the same way that God sees our lives, our service, and the world that we live in. And oftentimes we cause ourselves problems because, quite naturally, we separate the two out. We don't want a difficult life. We don't want to be blind. We don't want to be ill. We don't want to suffer. Yeah. I accept we don't. And actually, ideally, 
most of the time, I'm not sure God does either. However, I think what underpins that is God is more concerned about our spiritual, spiritual well-being than he, than he is concerned about our physical well-being. Verse 4, as long as it is day, Jesus says, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, he says. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So Jesus heals the man, the man born blind. And people see him. And obviously, and we'll find out later on he's a beggar, so when you come to that you'll already know. But obviously, as a person who begs in the street, I guess people would pass him. And he's a beggar, so, you know, who cares? You sort of register, you don't really register. But then people see him again and he can see. And they, aren't, you the, uh, aren't you the blind beggar? Yeah. Yeah, not sure, not sure. They sort of recognise him, sort of don't sometimes. John, John 9.13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the eyes, it was on a Sabbath. Remember that, we'll come to it later, okay? Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight, he put, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous things? So they were divided. Okay, so this is, this is the first part, if you like, of the Pharisees trying to work out what's happened and obviously you've got some people who are saying well you know he blatantly can't be from God because he did this good thing on the Sabbath he healed on the Sabbath well that's against our laws that can't be from God and blatantly within the group there's another set of people saying well yeah I can sort of see that in principle but it doesn't quite scan for me how can somebody who is a sinner do such miraculous things? They dismiss the blind man. And then they reel in his parents. John 9 verse 18. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. 
That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Part two. So they've spoken to him. He affirms that he was blind. They don't believe him. They talk to the parents. They confirm he was blind. Well, actually, they confirm he was blind and now he can see, but they're not prepared to say who, how, or why. Why? Because they feared he would be put out of the synagogue. Now, I have no idea what that means. I've done a little bit of research. A little bit of research. So... I found this out. The Talmud, which is uh, which is a Jewish historical book that uh, records uh, Jewish customs, uh, laws, etc., alludes to the fact that there are 24 reasons to why one might be excommunicated, put out of the synagogue, and there's a whole host of of them ranging, I don't know, one of which would be uh, uh, blasphemy, for example. You could be put out of the synagogue from anywhere from a day to a lifetime, depending upon what your offence was. You had to repent of whatever your offence was at the end of your, of your period before you were, were allowed back into the synagogue. And nobody could go within six feet of you for as long as you were excommunicated. I guess that would have some impact. Family-wise, work-wise, although it was blind beggar, so that wouldn't have been an issue at the time. Do you know, this was the threat. Now his parents buckled under that threat but the blind man doesn't verse 24 a second time they summoned the man who had been blind part 3 give glory to God they said we know this man is a sinner they cannot stand the idea that Jesus is the son of God don't give glory to Jesus, give glory to God. Jesus is a sinner. He healed on the Sabbath. He can't be from God. The man replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's very interesting. Because he doesn't care about the theological sensitivities of the Pharisees. He knows he was blind. He can now see. He knows that this man, Jesus, healed him. He experienced the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They asked him, verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I'm guessing the guy's not thick. But he's obviously asking for trouble here. He's obviously no shrinking violet. 
I wonder what life was like for a blind beggar. I, I don't know. I can imagine. I can imagine if he's, he's if he's having to, to beg for money. If he sat there quiet in a corner by himself, doing nothing, he'd probably get nothing. I imagine he might well have been quite annoying. You know, in people's faces, doing whatever he can to be to be noticed, so somebody might take pity on him. Now he's got his sight back. And he seems he's still not averse to putting himself about and making life a bit awkward and making people feel a bit uncomfortable. Verse 28, they hurled insults at him. The religious leaders of the day, they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And I love the, sim- the simplistic logic of this bit. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know God the do- does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. A blind beggar, I mean, from the Pharisees' point of view, steeped in sin, because that's the culture. And if he's not been sinful, which has caused his blindness, then he comes, his heritage is that of sin. And now he stood before them, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does it in such a way, it's not rocket science, he's got a really nice, simple, straight argument. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What was his argument? He met with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ loved him. I think, that's, I think that's the argument. He did a miracle for him, which for the blind man showed that he come from God. And the blind man responded to that when confronted with the Pharisees. He must be from God because he did a godly thing to me. And as clever and as sophisticated as the Pharisees were, they had no argument. They couldn't, they couldn't argue against that. So they threw him out. Friday night, uh, Emily had a, a disco at, at school. So we decided that uh, we decided we'd drop Emily off at the, car, at, the, at the grammar school and then we would go off for a, a meal, the rest of us. So I parked up. Lucy, Lucy jumped out, took Emily off to wherever, wherever Emily went. And I was sort of faffing about in the car, waiting for it to come back. And, uh, and then as I looked up in the mirror, I saw somebody that was dressed like Lucy heading to another black car. Posh black car, I have to say. Not a Mondeo. Proper and clean. And then she opened this other car to get in. So maybe she's had a better offer. <laughs> 
and then in about two milliseconds flat, shut the door, ran back and jumped in our car. I mean, blatantly. She's not a car person. Do you know, and it sort of struck me that the Pharisees had that sort of choice. There was a right choice and a wrong choice. Lucy started off on the wrong choice. And when they realized, when she realized the error of her ways, came back. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, those with the responsibility to lead the people, when confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ, when confronted with the Son of God, who gave them countless opportunities to do the right thing, they couldn't let go. They couldn't let go of everything they built. Their self-importance, their social standing, their riches, their power. They couldn't let go. It's a real challenge. And they're, an e- they're easy to take a pop out of the Pharisees. Very, it doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be particularly well read. Read the Gospels. Have a little bit of a look. And they make a pig's ear out of it time and time again. Great. Great material. We need to be careful because it's exactly the same sort of trap that we can fall into. We can get bound up in the ways in which we do things. We can get bound up in how we think and how our outworking of our faith is. And when we get challenged, we can just knock it back for the sake of knocking it in the back because, you know, it's not very comfortable. We've done it like this all the time. I'm happy as I am. Jesus challenges that. Here, the Pharisees, they can't take that challenge up. And they rebel against the Son of God. The one sent to reveal the very nature of God to us. Back in verse 4 of of that chapter, Jesus says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We must do the work of him who sent me. What was the real work here? Was it the healing of a blind man? No, it was not the healing of a blind man. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found them, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe you, and he worshipped him. That is the real work here. Not the fact that Jesus managed to cure somebody who was blind, but that Jesus converted a sinner to repentance. And once the blind man saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he worshipped him. And he he was a changed man, he was a converted man. He was transformed physically, yes. He could not see and now he can see. But he was converted spiritually. A worthless beggar to a child of God. 
a preacher to the Pharisees. I was driving, I can't remember what I was driving. I had a gig last week and I had a practice on Friday nights about half seven. I was driving in the car. And I was driving, if you know it, I was driving down Carrington Lane and something caught my eye. Just, I'm obviously driving on the right hand side like most of us, just at the top of the windscreen. And I, and I looked and there was a spider this big. Sorry. There was a spider this big walking on the inside of the car. I'm not particularly fussed about spiders. But frankly, I wanted that spider out. So I pulled over. And I didn't... How do you get a spider out? I didn't want to kill it. And I... It got handles and all sorts of nonsense. And boy, could it move. And I tried to get it, and then I lost it. And I'm spending time in the car. I must have looked to her right, moppy. And I'm in and out of the car, either side, doors open. Can't find it. Get back in the car. I think I'm sort of worried it's just going to drop on my head when I'm driving and I'm going to crash or do something stupid. Drive the next bit. I'm stuck, and I get stuck at the traffic lights. And there's a car behind me with quite bright lights shining through. And I'm looking around all the time, blatantly. And it's there, wedged into where the shirt hook thing, you know, the little handle thing, it's wedged in there. Thinking it's going. I get on the motorway, I pull into the side, and I find an empty box of hankies. Anyway, it's a cut story, long story short. Finally get this thing out, lobbed it. Spider has gone. I had to get that spider out. Just It had to go. I was not going to complete my journey until that was done. The Pharisees were definitely not going to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were going to do anything and everything it took. They'd stop the car 57 million times. They'll dismantle it until they can find it. These spiders going, these, they're not going to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the very image of God. They had to protect their faith, everything that they'd built up. The call of the gospel is about us being able to give up everything we have. The call of the gospel is about the power of God being able to transform us. We come each week to take bread and to take wine so that we remember the sacrifice that God and the Lord Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Made before we did anything you know, there you go, it's done. And then we're called to respond to what he's done for us. Not to get, not to, to make our own securities, not to wrap our, our own little world in cotton wool so that we're never hurt or that we, we measure everything by the world's standards and we search for things which will make sure that we're successful and happy by the world's standards. 
We're called to cut through all that. To see the world through God's eyes. To see our lives through God's eyes. To serve like the Lord Jesus Christ showed that we should serve. God loves us. The Lord Jesus Christ loves us. And that is demonstrated by the life and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls us to respond. Do you know, blind beggar, intellectual, whatever. He calls us to respond and that's what we come to do now. We come to remember and respond. Pete will come and lead our thanks for the bread after we've sung our next hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Yeah, Lord, I want to thank you that, um, that you've opened our eyes, that we can see you. But sometimes it seems to me that, uh, that we close them again. Sometimes, perhaps, we're not open to all of your goodness and your grace. Sometimes we shut you out of part of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you will open them again. Open them wider. Let us see you for what you are. Then, Lord, we can respond. Knowing you as you are, we can give our lives fully. Looking at the Lord Jesus and seeing him, we know, Lord, the depths of your love. As we take this bread, you remind us that you want us. That we are not part of some vast, nameless flock. That you know us each by name. And we thank you for that. Bless us, we pray, to serve you and give you glory. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Charles will lead our thanks for the wine. Father, as we continue to look with eyes wide open, we see the direction of a perfect life, the route that it takes, Father, to end up being despised and rejected by men and the giving up of life of sacrificing ourselves for other people Lord as we fix our eyes on Jesus help us to take steps in that direction to follow him in that perfect way knowing that the ultimate destination is a place of hope place of peace, a place of joy, and a place with you. Amen.
Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we remember the, the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the power and the authority that uh, God has and the lessons that we learn from this sacrifice, let's sing our next song. Uh, from eight, Praise Lord number 82. My trust, my hope and my joy is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. John 8 verse 12 When Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will walk in darkness will never walk in darkness. 1 John 2 verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around him in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. If we walk in the light, we live in the light. If we live in the light, then we are living like the Lord Jesus Christ lived. We do the things he did. We say the things he said. We think the things he thought. That's what differentiates us from non-believers. That we give our life to be like Jesus. Walking It's not a static thing. Walking is a dynamic thing. You're doing something. And what we're called to do is show the love of God. That's what Jesus did to the blind man. Not that he healed him, but he showed him who God was. That's our calling. To show people who God is. Our Last song is, Lord of all power, I give you my will in joyful obedience, your tasks to fulfil. Lord, amen to that. Let us be strong. As we leave, Lord, let us be strong in you. For you have worked a miracle in us through the Lord Jesus. That you showed us a better way that you showed us love and Lord whatever pain whatever hardship we have in our lives help us to remember that you showed us love Lord and Lord as we leave this place fill us with your spirit that we can show others your love. Amen.